Chapter 14 Bill Come Dew They stumbled along through the night. In the four hours since the conflagration at the Abbey, they had not stopped to rest. Mouthfuls of water were taken as they crossed a small stream, but Gregory would not let them halt, grabbing Chaplain Davies by the arm and pulling him back up as he tried to sit down by the creek and catch his breath. It was wearing on them all, but Gregory's pace did not slow. Dawn was still a ways away when they came out onto a cobblestone road running east and west. Gregory halted the group. Isaiah, who had been serving as the rear guard, was the last to join them on the cobbles. Once they had assembled, Grigori spoke softly. We must keep quiet. There is a town ahead. We will take on provisions and then continue on. Come dawn, we will find a place to rest. Halstead spoke up. Mate, we ought to take a rest now. You lot might be marchers and up to my fair share of walkabout, but the chaplain and Nurse O'Leary aren't used to this. Grigori's response was sharp. No. Those pursuing us will not rest until all are taken. But the choice to continue or not is your own. Halstead gritted his teeth. This is bloody crackers. But when Grigori turned and headed toward the hamlet, all, including Halstead, fell in behind him. There were no signs of life anywhere along the road. No animals in the fields. They passed the first farmhouse just on the outskirts of Tolmar. A small plume of smoke tumbled upward from the chimney, but no light shone inside, and the front door yawned wide. A silent, screaming mouth. When they reached the small stone fountain in the Tolmar town centre, they had yet to see a single living thing. Renoir and Isaiah filled the meagre pair of canteens they had between them. The rest of them slumped against the fountain, sitting for the first time in hours. Caitlin helped Chaplain Davies to his seat on the edge of the fountain. Isaiah handed a full canteen to her. She drank, then passed it on to the chaplain. Caitlin wiped her mouth on her sleeve and took a breath, her eyes a million miles away, in search of something. Isaiah spoke gently. You all right, miss? Caitlin came back to the present, her slight smile was tinged with irony. I don't know. I've had nightmares and inside them, I've caught on that I'm dreaming, right? And when that happens, I become in control of the dream. I can do anything, run, fly, anything I can think. I can end a nightmare, banish it, even wake myself. Have you ever experienced that? Isaiah nodded. Maybe once or twice. I've been telling myself this is just a dream, just a nightmare. Wake up and go to sleep. Or fly away. But nothing happens. Isaiah paused a moment. I don't think... I don't think there's any waking up from this. Chaplain Davy's eyes were closed. He seemed in physical pain as he mouthed a silent prayer. Caitlin took his hand, concerned. Father. Davies opened his eyes. Tears fell as he spoke. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as if it were the noise of thunder, one of the beasts saying, Come and see. And behold, a white horse, 
and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. The anointed angel comes, and the reckoning is at hand. The company was silent, chilled to the bone by the gut-churning certainty in Davy's tone. Halstead gave him a look. The reckoning. Davy's nodded. The bill come due. Armageddon. You've another explanation? Grigori interrupted, spurring them. We must gather provisions, food, water, weapons. Isaiah's laugh was cutting. To get us where, Russia? I got all the weapons I could carry. Not sure how much that's gonna do against them demons. My grandmama told me all about Armageddon time. That's what this is? Ain't no killing them. Grigori ended the conversation. There will be a time to discuss all of this, if we live. Now is not that time. We must not stay here long. Your guns will not stop them. We want axes, anything that can take a head or a limb to slow them. Small groups, stay close together. Gather what you can carry. Meet back here in twenty minutes. Renoir was on his feet. Oui. Isaiah, Francois, avec moi. We will find weapons. Grigori looked to the rest. Lieutenant Durand, the American, and I. We take the west side of town. You take the east. Grigori looked at Holstead and snapped him out of a brief reverie. You are a doctor. What? You are a doctor? Yes. Good. See what you can find in terms of medical supply. Halstead was glad to have a purpose. Caitlin and the chaplain can come with me. Chaplain Davies tried to stand, but a wave of dizziness struck. Caitlin caught him before he fell and helped him to the fountain's lip. Davies paused. Sorry, just lightheaded. Need another moment to catch my breath. Caitlin looked to the others for support. He needs a rest if we're to continue on. We'll stay with him. Grigori clenched his jaw. Whatever we do, we must do it now. Durant handed James his revolver. Kid, you stay here too. Use it if you see anything coming. Isaiah's laugh was mirthless. Anything? Call them what they are, Lieutenant. Demons. Durant ignored him. We won't be long. You see anything, pull the trigger and we'll come running. James gestured at Strothman and Unger. What about the Jerrys? Do I have to guard them too? They all looked to Strothman and Unger. Grigori spoke. Friend, if you think our German comrades are your worst enemies in this undiscovered country, you should think again. Captain, you and your man will go with the doctor, you understand? Yes, I understand. I speak English. My name is Wolfgang. He's Jonah. Isaiah gave him the eye. Welcome to the show, Wolfgang. You know, you might have made mention you spoke English when we bagged y'all yesterday. Grigori interrupted. Yesterday is water under the bridge, never to be seen again. Any hesitation now, and tomorrow will never come. Make haste, we rally back here in twenty minutes. Anyone not here then, we will not come looking for you. There was no comfort in the agreement, but they all nodded assent. The three groups split off. Grigori and Durant headed west. Renoir, Francois, and Isaiah jogged east. Halstead, Wolfgang, and Jonah moved north in the Talmar town square, searching for an apothecary among the stone facades. 
Caitlin, James, and the chaplain sat alone at the fountain. The dark and quiet of pre-dawn settled over the trio, as if it hoped to smother them. Yet to the east, they saw a lightning of the sky, a grey murmur in the field of black, promising that dawn would soon come to erase the shadows. Renoir and Francois searched through farm implements in the barn. They had already separated a hatchet and a hand scythe from the more utilitarian tools. Francois picked up a large hammer and spun it in his hand, testing the weight. He added it to the weapon cache. Isaiah poked his head in and entered with a wood-splitting axe over his shoulder. Thinking this is what that Russian fella had in mind, Renoir agreed. Bien, a quick look for food, then we must make our return. In a small druggist shop, Wolfgang and Jonah gathered bolts of cotton, bandages, creams, and unguents. Halstead looked through a small supply of pills and powders, trying to make out the writing in the dark, consternation on his face. Wolfgang caught the look. What's the matter? No real painkillers. It all must have been requisitioned by the army. He grabbed the few bottles of aspirin that remained and shoved them into his pockets. Gregorian Durant approached a modest two-story house. Its front door was ajar. Gregory drew his saber and pushed the oak door open. Durant followed him in. A kerosene lamp still flickered dully on the living room table. Gregory picked it up and adjusted the flame, then led Durant toward the kitchen. At the base of the stairway, they made a gruesome discovery. The kerosene's flame reflected off a large pool of still wet blood. There were drag marks, splatter on the walls, footsteps in the gore. Yet there was no source to be seen, no corpse to explain the bloody mess. Durant and Grigori shared a look. Grigori stepped over the blood and whispered to Durant, Let us move quickly. In the kitchen, they found a well-stocked pantry. They rifled it, stuffing as much food as they could carry into their packs. Even with the dawn approaching, fear was gnawing insistently at James's guts. The hangover from the rum, the horrors he had witnessed, followed by the brutal march through the woods, had left him terror-stricken and spent. He held tight to Durant's pistol. Caitlin saw the strain on his face, and his finger resting inside the trigger guard. Private, it's James. Call me James. James, be a good lad and take your finger off the trigger until it needs to be on it. James's face flushed. He did not know much, but he knew better than that. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. There was a flash of movement across the square. James swung the pistol up. What was that? Fifty meters away, at the entry portico of the stone cathedral, stood a little boy. Caitlin guessed he could not be older than nine or ten. Put the pistol down, James. It's a child. Chaplain Davies glanced up from his daze, and saw the little boy. The boy realized he'd been spotted. He turned and ran, ducking through the doors of the church. Davies stood and began walking across the square toward the church. Caitlin called out to him quietly. Chaplain, we should wait here until the others get back. He did not have the energy to argue the point. He held up a hand to silence her and continued toward the church. Caitlin chafed at the casual disregard, but she followed after him trailed by James. Tall candles and votives burned on and around the altar. 
The chaplain entered at the back and scanned the old wooden pews. He spoke quietly, but his voice still echoed in the vaulted stone of the nave. Hello. Bonjour. Je suis un Breton. We will not hurt you. Je suis un reverend. Davies heard something. Creak of wood behind the raised altar. In the flickering candlelight, he caught sight of the toe of the boy's leather shoe poking out from behind it. He smiled. Hide and seek solved. Caitlin and James entered the sanctuary just as Davies made his way past the transept below the altar. Wait there, Caitlin. I don't want to spook him. Davies climbed the steps to the altar itself. He lowered to his knee and reached out to the boy, who cowered behind it. Come on, lad. There's nothing to fear. The boy's hand reached out tremulously. He touched the chaplain. The touch felt like a tiny bolt of lightning striking Henry Davies in the chest. Images flashed across his mind's eye. He saw the moment he felt the call to ordination, the transition from judgment to joy at the Paris discernment after his course at the seminary. He recalled his first time in the cherished vestments and collar of his calling. He saw himself from outside of his body, a glowing young Anglican priest full of promise and hope, sharing his faith, his hopes and dreams with the little congregation. He saw the altar boy, Joseph Miller, who had come to him at twelve to serve. He saw himself reaching out his hand, caressing the boy's cheek. He saw the look in his own eyes of desire and temptation succumbed to. Chaplain Davies released the little boy's hand in shock and shame, severing the image. He repeated himself, There's nothing to fear. The little boy smiled benign, but the voice was ice cold. The anointed angel comes. There is everything to fear. It all happened in an instant. The chaplain recoiled and the boy attacked, smashing into Davy's chest, sending him scattering backward. He hit flat on his back, bouncing his head off the stone floor. Caitlin cried out from the rear of the church, Father! The boy hurtled onto Chaplain Davy's chest, straddling him, trapping the man's arms against his body with his legs, seizing his throat with little hands as strong as a wolf trap. He leaned over Davy's face until their mouths nearly touched. Then he breathed out and began to inhale. Davy's twitched and shook, eyes bulging and rolling, tears running down his cheeks, and then a ghostly mist began to flow out of his mouth and nose, vacuumed upward into the boy's open mouth. Chaplain Davy's soul was being sucked out and consumed. Caitlin started toward them, James just behind her. The boy shoved his hand against the soft belly skin below the chaplain's ribcage, and with a profound and unearthly strength, he tore through the tender flesh, digging upward until he found the beating, spasming heart of the man. He wrapped his hand tightly around it, twisting and wrenching the organ until he ripped it free from the cavity. As the chaplain expired, his body still shuddering with electricity, the boy stood, holding the bloody organ aloft. He turned to the stunned and horrified audience of Caitlin and James, stopping them in their tracks. The heart, superheated and blackened, veins and ventricles bursting into flame, the blood boiling off. Within seconds, the heart was a pile of ashes in his hand, 
The boy exhaled, triumphant, and the chaplain's soul poured out of him, blowing the ash into the air, scattering it up into nothingness. The boy spoke, and it echoed in the rafters. Sandra, Sandra, la poussière a Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He looked at Caitlin and James, grinning mania in the eyes. Then out of his nose and mouth, like a ghost, flowed his own spirit. Released of energy, the little boy's body collapsed in a heap. The spirit traveled through the air, seeking, seeking. It reached the body of Chaplain Davies and greedily flowed up and over his dead form. When it got to the frozen, open-mouthed rictus scream on his face, it disappeared into the nostrils and mouth and filled the chest with breath. Henry Davies' corpse began to move. James raised Durant's pistol in a shaking hand. Caitlin took an unbidden step backward as Davies stood. Then the chaplain was on her, seizing her by the throat, and images flashed across her mind. Her own hands, a pistol, discharged. Bam! A bullet ripped through Henry Davies' chest, and the images stopped. He shoved Caitlin away. She stumbled into the nave, falling backward and smacking her head on a pew. She hit the ground, stunned. Durant and Gregory were exiting the house with their full packs as the report from James's pistol reached them. They sprinted toward the town square. Bam! Bam! James pulled the trigger again as Chaplain Davies advanced down the aisle toward him. Bam! 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 Click! 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 Then Chaplain Davies had him, smacking the impotent gun aside and grabbing James's throat. James saw stars and images flashed in his mind's eye. Guns, rifles, shells, poison gas. The doors to the church flew open, and Durant and Gregory were there. Durant ran up the aisle and crashed into the chaplain. He dropped James to the ground and spun on Durant, punching him in the temple, knocking him to his knees. Gregory's saber was out, and he stormed in, swinging for Davy's neck, but the demon raised his arm, catching the blade, embedding the saber halfway through his forearm. He grabbed Gregory's hand before he could wrench the saber free and squeezed tight, snapping all the bones in Gregory's wrist. Gregory cried out and lost his hold on the saber. Davies threw it aside and it clattered down the aisle, sliding to a halt under the pews. He struck Gregory in the face with his remaining good hand, dropping him in a heap on the floor. Davies grabbed a tall brass candle holder, raised it like a spear and drove it down, impaling Gregory through and through. The Russian screamed in agony. No! Durant cried out. The demon that once was Chaplain Davies twisted the candle holder, wrenching it free. He spun on Durant. Caitlin's voice cut through the horror. Stop! Davies looked back just in time to see the flash of steel and hear it cut through the air as Caitlin swung Gregory's saber, cleaving almost all the way through his neck. Chaplain Davies' earthly form dropped to its knees and fell forward to the stone floor. The body lay still. Blood haloing around it on the ground. The only sound in the church was Gregory choking and gasping as his lifeblood flowed out. Caitlin ran to his side. She opened his shirt and applied pressure, trying to staunch the blood flow. 
Durant staggered to his feet and knelt beside them. Grigori reached out and grabbed him with his good hand. Verdun. If what I said, Verdun, is safe haven to weather this storm, Verdun. Durant was in shock, but he nodded in understanding. Grigori gasped. His eyes glassed, and his last breath rattled out. He was gone. Durant glanced up at the clatter of footfalls. The rest of the company came running into the church. They stared in horror at the bloody aftermath. The sky had started to turn a dull grey as the sun made its way toward the horizon. But the coming light did not make them feel any safer. It just made them feel exposed. Durant had his map spread out on the pavestones. He, Renoir, and Wolfgang knelt around it. Isaiah, Francois, James, Unger, Dr. Halstead, and Caitlin formed a ring around them, listening to the debate. Renoir's forehead creased. Verdun. Christ. This is 300 kilometers you want to travel. On foot. Why Verdun? Durant could not say for sure. Safe haven, he said. Renoir scratched his beard. She is the strongest fortress in the country. Underground. Formidable. If we can reach it, maybe it'll give us shelter from this thing. Renoir looked at him, skeptical. If we can reach it, is certainly the prime question. Durant sat back. He breathed deep and rubbed strain from his brow before he spoke to the group. No one has to come that doesn't want to. I'm telling you where Grigori wanted to lead us. He said we'd find a safe haven there. I don't know if that's true or not. But I'm not going to just sit here and wait to die. The silence stretched as they all chewed that over. Caitlin was the first to speak. Oil go. Isaiah chimed in. Same here. Renoir and Francois were in accord too. James felt the color rising in his cheeks. He did not want to say it, but it came out unbidden. But this... this can't be real. They were all silent. No one had an answer to that. Then Isaiah spat out. Shit, boy. Go ask that old Russian how real his shit is. You think he's having breakfast in bed somewheres? Or is he dead up in that church with the preacher? This shit, real or not? Either way, I ain't gonna sit here long enough for it to send me along with him. Gerard looked to Strathman and Unga. I understand if you want to go your own way. You're free to do as you like. Strathman translated to Jonah. Er sagt, wir sind frei an seinen eigenen Weg zu wählen. He says we are free to choose our own way. Jonah nodded. Ich würde mit ihnen gehen. He says he will go with you. I'll travel with you as well. Durant looked from Wolfgang to Dr. Holstead. The Aussie stubbed out his half-smoked cigarette and stuck it back in his pack. Well, I'm sure as fuck not staying here alone, mate. Durant stood. Gather your gear. We leave now. They gathered packs and shouldered kit bags, along with the weapons that Renoir, Isaiah, and Francois had procured from the barn.
Durant folded the map away and sat back on his haunches. He looked down and found in his hand the small aluminum dog tag locket given to him by the young man he had buried the day before. Had it been just one day? He pried it open and read the stamped lettering inside. A name, a place of birth, a date of birth, a division name, a company number. It might have meant something yesterday, but today it meant less than nothing. Durant stood and dropped it into the fountain. Let the past live in the past, he thought. He looked back toward the crossroads from which they'd come, for any sign of what he knew was hunting them. Nothing. Yet. The company was as ready as they ever would be again. Durant led the way. They followed the road south, toward Verdun, and the uncertain salvation they all hoped awaited them there. The young Austrian stumbled along the road. He was blind, his eyes bound with white cotton bandaging. Every few steps, gentle hands on either side helped keep him from stumbling off the road, and he was filled with gratitude for their guidance. To his exhausted mind, it felt like love. His voice sounded as spent as he felt. Wie viel weiter? How much farther? The helping hands of his comrades stopped him, and the words he had been desperate to hear all night came to his ears. Nicht weiter. Wir ruhen. Kommen Sie. No further. Wir rest. Come. The Austrian boy was helped to the ground. He leaned up against what felt like a short stone wall. Kind hands brought him a tin cup with fresh water in it. He gulped it down. The body of the man giving him succor was rent through with bullet wounds. Fresh, horrible burns were seared on his arms and face, but still he brushed back the young man's dirty black hair with a quiet, and certain tenderness. The blue-eyed demon that Durant stabbed, sat Shiva with, and buried the day before, filled the cup again from the Tolmar town fountain, and gave the blinded Austrian boy another helping. When he caught sight of what glittered at the bottom of the fountain, a smile creased his features. He reached in and pulled it out. You will not believe what I have found, my friend. Your identity tag. You will have to give it to your mother yourself, now that you have survived. The demon gently placed the dog tag around the boy's neck. The metal glinted dully in the coming dawn light. The indentations of its five-line inscription visible in bar relief. Hitler. Adolf. Braunau an ihm. Twenty four eighty nine. Sixteenth Bavarians. Eight hundred and twenty nine. The demon leaned back against the wall. Rest, Adolf. At the sun's setting, we hunt. Adolf clasped the dog tag in his palm and lay down on the ground. Sleep took him the moment he closed his eyes. The sun began to crest the eastern horizon. 
Adolf and the demon were far from alone. A host of bodies were scattered all around Tolmar Town Square, a legion of the dead. In German field grey, in French horizon blue, in the khaki of the British army, all stained with the dried blood of humankind. With the sun's rise, those still standing fell to the ground, unmoving, no sign of breath or beating hearts, just empty vessels awaiting the setting sun, whose disappearance would breathe new life back into them. The blind Austrian boy slumbered in their midst, unaware of the fresh hell that surrounded him.